When I was a kid, maybe eight or nine years old, I remember sitting in my parents' basement on the carpeted but unpadded concrete floor in front of one of those giant wooden cabinet televisions. At that time, we had one of the original 10-foot-wide backyard satellite dishes, which meant that we got a channel that's now known for reality television and angry housewives, but back then was known for showing documentaries, independent art house and short films, you know, Sundance-style kind of stuff. Bravo. Now, I've never cared much for the circus, and certainly not for clowns, but in this instance, it was Cirque du Soleil that was on Bravo, particularly the Circus Reinvented show. In one vignette, a man dressed as an orchestra conductor, the Mad Conductor, with his feet clamped in a large trampoline-like contraption, was wheeled on stage carrying presumably sheet music and other conductor-related stuff. Throughout the next few minutes, this man, Dennis Lacombe, whirled around on this contraption, falling forward, sweeping back, spinning, jumping, but never quite falling all the way over. How could he? His feet were affixed in this stretchy rubber diaphragm that let him bounce back from whatever kind of exaggerated movement he made. It was frantic, it was dizzying, and hilarious. And I woke up this morning thinking about that for one reason or another and knew exactly what I wanted today's episode to be about. Balance. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. Today's episode isn't actually about balance. It's about this idea that we're being fed constantly, that balance is the goal, or that it's even an attainable goal at that. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You need to find a work-life balance. That's the only way you'll stay sane and healthy while in school. I heard it. Heck, I've probably even said it at some point, and... To whomever I may have said that, I apologize sincerely. Now, I don't want to apply that the idea behind this is bad. Quite the opposite, really. Everything in moderation except excess, to corrupt an Oscar Wilde quote. Everyone needs a little bit of both work and play in their lives, but I don't necessarily think it's about balance. But first... What exactly do we mean when we say balance? The Oxford English Dictionary provides one definition of balance, among many others, as the general harmony between the parts of anything, 
springing from the observance of just proportion and relation. And I like that definition. I really do. I like the idea of aspects of our lives being in harmonious equilibrium, getting from each aspect what we need and giving what we can, as it were. But is this really what's needed? Is it that simple? It is? Oh, great. Episode over. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, there's, there's, there's more? Oh, okay. Sorry. Let's talk about school. Synonymous with stress, right? From K-12 all the way up, it's just kind of accepted. NPR ran a story a few years back about a girl named Gabby that seemed to kind of typify the stress high school students, in this case, are under. So much that her anxiety over a biology test caused her to throw up. Quote, Gabby typically starts her day at 6 a.m. and gets to school at 7.15. On Mondays, she runs a government club called Junior State of America. She's also running for class president, sits on the Women's Rights Awareness Group, and helps out at the school's Rotary Club. But despite all these activities, she's still worried about failure, getting into a good college, and making family members proud. And these have led to chronic stomach pain that she says her doctor has linked to stress. Now tell me where the balance is in that situation, and how exactly a stress-induced stomach ulcer, if that's what it is, in a high school student fits into that equilibrium. This seems to run the gamut from kindergarten all the way up through college, like I said, and if the initial reaction to hearing that is, yeah, well, I know lots of people that have test anxiety, I don't necessarily think that makes it okay, just common. There seems to be a culture in education, higher education in particular, though clearly it's not unique to that, that if you're not overworked and exhausted, you probably aren't doing or working hard enough. It's such a pervasive notion that we joke about it, even. A graduate student without dark circles under their eyes and holding a large coffee is immediately asked if they're taking a break or if everything's okay. If you're doing the academic, as it were, you should be a wreck. Sad, really. First, how do you know you're out of balance? Those dark circles are an indication, for one, Fatigue, even chronic fatigue, is a sure sign that you're working to exhaustion. It's surprising, right? Being in poor health is another. The two compound one another. There's also a marked reduction in the amount of time that you spend with your social circles and loved ones. This could all presumably lead to depression and spiral out of control. So I guess the answer is to work less or work smarter, not harder? I mean, it can't be that simple, can it? And how do you know what constitutes smarter, anyway? For those lucky enough to have a mentor or someone they consider an advisor, they can at least ask for some guidance. But what about those folks that are just basically winging it, trying to survive? How do you work smarter when you're working a second job just to cover the childcare you need in order to work your first job. 
balance, I guess, huh? Honestly, I don't have the answers to this. I wish I did. Better social support, community, altering the toxic environment of unrealistic expectations and victim blaming, I guess. Harmonious equilibrium is hard to find when the scales are broken. And the position of privilege where much of this comes from is not lost on me. But let's presume you're not quite in that predicament. You just need to figure out how not to be a workaholic or fall tumbling down whatever that particular rabbit hole is for you. Perhaps that's school. The Mayo Clinic has some suggestions for striking that quote-unquote balance. First, be healthy, basically. You're more likely to be able to deal with the stresses of modern life if you are hydrated, well-fed, and have exercised. The be healthy suggestion extends to your emotional and mental state as well. The clinic suggests making time for fun and relaxation, in addition to not bringing your work home with you. Second, set limits. If you can, delegate work. If not, try to be more efficient in what needs done. And there's that work smarter idea again. One popular suggestion that has been gaining traction, at least among faculty from as far as I can tell, is to severely limit email, sometimes to only once a day. Or you can quote, shorten commitments if possible. Trying the Pomodoro technique that I've talked about on the pod before could help by chunking up not just your time, but your attention as well. Also, make some lists. Outsourcing remembering your responsibilities to a piece of paper or a task manager can go a long way to freeing up some of that cognitive space you need to actually focus and get stuff done. And as you may have noticed, much of what the Mayo Clinic suggests for striking the work-life balance could also apply to the school-life balance. A 2013 paper published in the International Journal of Doctoral Studies has some specific ways graduate students in particular can find or at least work toward that, quote, balance by, also quote, purposefully managing their time, priorities, and roles and responsibilities, seeking well-being by managing stress levels, maintaining their mental and physical health, and creating personal time, finding support from various individuals and their institution, and finally, making trade-offs. It's clear that there's a lot of overlap between work-life balance and school-life balance, which is often complicated by the fact that the students trying to find that school-life balance also have to find the work-life balance. That's two balancing acts at the same time. And that brings us back to Cirque du Soleil. You practically have to be an acrobat to even attempt this. So, how about we do something radical and just give up the idea of balance? An article published in CNN Money provides some interesting alternatives to this often unattainable balance. For one, how about a work-life fit? This is really just a change of framing in that it, quote, helps people see the possibilities instead of focusing on what they can't have. Okay, sounds reasonable. Or maybe work-life integration. More to do with fitting work into life and life into work, depending on what needs attention that particular day. 
This does get away from the idea that you're trying to balance two static, fixed aspects of your existence, work and life, but rather appreciating that they're constantly shifting. And okay, we're getting there. How about work-life interface? Focusing on the ways in which work and life come in contact and putting your energy into managing that. All right, that sounds interesting. Or maybe work-life sway. After all, there's no correct way of doing this, and recognizing that things change day to day, whether that's your responsibilities or your needs, may go a long way to fixing the problem. I don't know. I really think that all this kind of misses the point. It all still seems to rest on the idea that there are those two buckets your existence fits in, work and life. And I gotta tell you, I don't buy it. See, I've always been fond of the plate-spinning metaphor. And again, we're kind of back in the circus. You've got all these different plates, some large, some small, some heavy, some light, some well-balanced, some a bit wonky. And it's your job to make sure that all these plates are spinning at the same time. And if you don't know what plate spinning is, it's basically a performance trick where dinner plates are placed upside down on poles and then spun on the top of those poles. I'll put a link to a video in the show notes. Some of those plates are easy to keep spinning. So those don't really require much attention. You can check in on them every once in a while, but for the most part, they just kind of do their thing. Some plates require a lot of attention all at once, but then maybe can also go for quite some time. Others, a little bit of attention, just very frequently. And of course, there are those that need almost constant attention and effort. So what happens when you focus on just one of those plates and ignore the others? Yeah. So to me, it's about getting yourself in a position where you can take care of the plates that need taken care of at the time. If you find that one plate is taking more of your attention than you can afford, then that's maybe when the make trade-offs strategy comes in handy. Or just let it break if that's an option. Lose a battle but win the war, as it were. So is it an elegant metaphor? No. Is it pithy? Also no. Will it fit on an inspirational Instagram post? Probably not. But at least it recognizes that you are more complicated than what's implied by simply finding a balance. I hope you enjoyed this throwback to earlier seasons. There will be more guests coming on over the next few months, as well as some on-location recordings at the OLC Innovate Conference in Denver, so look forward to that. I'll also be co-hosting OLC Live during the conference, interviewing speakers, conference staff, attendees, so watch out for that too. Or, if you're there, come find me and let's talk. Word of mouth is how this little podcast has grown its audience, and you listeners continue to be the best way for that to continue. So... Thank you for sharing and telling your friends and colleagues about it. It really means a lot. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. Thanks for listening.